series um, called Basics. Basics is what we're about as a church. Uh, we, are, we circle up around three things. You can kind of sum them up in three big words, gospel, community, and mission, or Jesus, community, and mission. And so over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking as a church family at how uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we worship a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three distinct persons, one unified God, how each of them give us identity. The Father has made us family. Two weeks ago, that's what the message was about, how the Father has willed, has come for us and adopted us and made us his children. We are children with a Father placed in his family. We are family. And then last week, we looked at the way that Jesus Christ has served us through his life, through his death, through his resurrection, and his his ascension or glorification. And he has shown us the way to service. We follow his lead, empowered by him. He's promised us never to leave us or forsake us, but he'll be with us always. And so he has made us servants. So we're family and we're a servant hearted. We're a servant people. And this week we're looking at how the Holy Spirit empowers and sends us as missionaries, those who are sent, sent ones. So when you think of a missionary, just in, in context, like when that word comes up in your mind, what does come to mind? What are some of the stereotypes? I don't mean stereotypes as in a negative way. I just mean what are some of the gener generalizations that you think of when you think of a missionary? What comes to mind? We're going to dialogue, mostly with the left side of the room. You guys are just kind of hanging out. Seth, you're kind of on your own in the middle. Look at the no support here in the middle. My word. When you, uh, when you think of missionary, what, do you, what comes to mind? There it is. Thanks, David. Look at you holding it down, balancing that row out. Go to a foreign country, okay? Somebody who goes somewhere else other than home to a people maybe unlike them. What else comes to mind when you think of missionary? I'm asking you. Okay, persecution. Okay, so these people are going to be opposed. Likely they're coming in hard soil, hard contexts, trying to, to, to plant God's word there. Okay, a few selected people. So missionaries are those super special folks that hear audibly from the Lord, go and sell all that they have, raise their salary, and then go. We can stereotype, like I just stereotyped. What else? qualified, okay? So people who have heard from the Lord, there's probably, hopefully, people around them who have been able to kind of look in on their life and provide some accountability. And these people are, are, are likely living according to 1 Timothy 3 or Titus 1. They have qualifications in their character and in their conversion that would, uh, that, that, that would deem them uh, appropriate for what they're trying to do. That's a really good, that qualification is good. Anything else come to mind? Nah, all right. So I looked up just kind of a general, like I wanted to see what the web defini definition of a missionary would be. And the, the web definition of a missionary is this, a person sent on a religious mission, especially one sent to promote Christianity in a foreign country. I think that really, that sums up well how the world thinks about, how people in general think about what it means to be a missionary. So I want to ask another question. What is a missionary's primary job or duty? Okay, to spread the gospel, to proclaim good news, the good news specifically of Jesus. What else? 
What else does a missionary um, go to do? Disciple, okay, to make disciples, to form people after the way of Jesus, to serve people, to, to give of their resources, their skills, um, to aid other people, to move toward them in compassion. I'm adding things there, but yes. Anything else? Okay, to train leaders, okay? So they, they, they have a mindset of multiplication in front of them. Yeah, I think that I think that is uh, I think that's totally uh, appropriate. I think all of those things are are really good. Let's go also. Let's go to the scriptures for our cues on what a missionary does and who a missionary is, rather than our own experiences or just cult, cultural definitions. So, um, what we're going to do is we're going to anchor in the Gospel of Luke, and then we're going to move right over into another book that he wrote, which is a continuation of the Gospel of Luke called Acts. So. Go to Luke chapter 24 in your apps, Bibles, or the black Bibles around the room. If I remember right, uh, if there's a Bible near you, one of the black ones, I think it's on page 885. That might get you uh, at least close there. Use the table of contents if you'd, if you'd like as well. Um, go to Luke 24, verses 44 through the end. And then there's going to be some overlap there. And he's going to continue this story in Acts chapter 1. So Jesus, this is post-resurrection. He's risen from the, the grave. He has appeared to his disciples and he is instructing them. We've spent some time here even during basics on of the first or second week. Uh, Jesus, he says to his disciples, these are my words that I spoke to you. So he said something before. These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me, now notice this, in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. What's Jesus referring to? He's referring to the Hebrew Bible. He's referring to the Old Testament. So everything written about him, he's equating himself with Messiah. All of the things written about Messiah in the Hebrew Bible must be fulfilled. And then verse 45, something that only God can do, but he does often here. He opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And Jesus said to them, thus it is written that the Christ or Messiah should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed. So something should happen. This repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his Messiah's name, Jesus's name to all nations, and it'll, it will have a beginning, an epicenter. It will begin from Jerusalem. That's where these disciples are right here in this moment. They're in Jerusalem. And then he says this, look, at, you are witnesses of these things. These disciples who he is speaking to in this moment have witnessed his life, his public ministry, his death, his burial, his resurrection. They've lived with him for approximately 40 days. You have seen with your own eyes. You have experienced my presence. You are witnesses of these things. And then he gives them a promise. Behold, I am sending, what? The promise of my Father. So the Father and Jesus Christ are unified in what is going to happen to these disciples. The one will coming to pass here. I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city, stay in Jerusalem until what? You are clothed with power from on high. Stay in the city until something happens to you and you're gonna know it. You're going to be, it's almost gonna be like you're clothed with power from on high. 
Then he, Jesus, led these disciples out as far as Bethany. This is approximately two miles from the city of Jerusalem. And lifting up his hands, he blessed them. So something like this. He blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple blessing God. Now, turn to Acts. So then if you go right, the next book is the Gospel of John, and then go to Acts chapter 1. This is also Luke writing here, and there's going to be some overlap. So he's going to be repeating some of what has just been the conclusion of Luke. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus. So Theophilus is a given name proper name. It likely represents somebody who funded Luke. He was a medical doctor, somebody who funded his research. And what he is trying to do is give an account. So he says in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. The first book is his gospel until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Jesus presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them, the disciples, during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So Jesus continued to teach after his resurrection. And while staying with them, Jesus ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you, that's John the Baptist, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, these disciples asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They still were looking for liberation from the Romans here. They had a small view of what God was up to in the world. Jesus said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power, there it is again, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and it's going to be for a purpose. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Think of this like concentric circles. In Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and all the way out to the edges of the earth to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, Jesus was lifted up in a cloud, took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, likely angels here, and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Now look at verse 12. What do the disciples do? Then they returned to Jerusalem from where they were in Bethany. So they obeyed him. They obeyed Jesus. They went back to Jerusalem and they began a time of waiting and devoting themselves to prayer. So what was Jesus preparing these disciples to do? What was he preparing them for in both of these accounts? Something was going to happen to them and that something that was going to happen to them had a purpose to it. The Father, the Son, and Spirit unified completely. They would do something to Jesus' disciples in order to do something through Jesus' disciples. So before these guys and, and women as well could fulfill their God-appointed, ever-expanding mission in the world, they ha something had to happen to them. They had to be clothed with power from on high. 
That comes out of Luke 24, I think 49, and then also Acts chapter 1-8. They would have, God would have to do something, transform them in some kind of a way to help them fulfill his purposes for them. And so this power from the Holy Spirit would come and would empower the apostles and the rest of the disciples in such a way that something specific would take place. Luke told us what it was at the end of his gospel in chapter 24. He said that repentance, that is a change of mind, a call for us to change our way of life, would come. Repentance and forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed by and through this powerful name of the Messiah. The Messiah is the one who calls us to change our view of him and to change our mind about him and to turn to him. And he is the one alone who issues forgiveness of sins. And so as this repentance and forgiveness of sins would come, these disciples, they would, they would proclaim it. They would proclaim it to more people than just them. They would proclaim repentance of sin. They would proclaim trust in Christ. They would proclaim forgiveness extended from Christ Jesus to them. And as this happens, as people take a hold of Jesus as Lord and as Master and Savior, the gift of the Holy Spirit, this power from on high, would be given to everyone whom the Lord God is calling to himself through Christ. And the Holy Spirit would then motivate these new people who had just heard and believed to extend the message and carry it on ad infinitum. On and on and on and on it would go. What this means for you guys, for us, is that the work the Holy Spirit began to do in and through the, the apostles, it's consistent with what he continues to do in and through you and I in 2020. We are a continuation of his mission. We are the means of carrying out his mission in 2020. That is, there is incredible privilege there, and you probably feel the weight too at the same time. So rather than our home base being Jerusalem or Judea or uh, Samaria or the Middle East, we're the ones who are at the edges of the earth here where we live. And the people of God now are moving all over his creation, the world, proclaiming, showing, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And so there is to be good news in our mouths. There's to be proclamation. There's to be actual news in our mouths. But there's also something else that should accompany that and back that message up. And it's a vibe. It's a vibe about our way of life. It's, 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 it's a texture and a contour and a feel to how we live with one another and toward one another and toward our enemies as well that backs up the fact that repentance and forgiveness of sins is a possibility. We're living witnesses to the good name and the good news of the one who takes away the sin of the world and gives true life, abundant life, to those who call on him. So I, I want to uh, redefine missionary a little bit from like the, the web definition here and, and kind of like draw a more biblical understanding or Bible-centered understanding of what it means to be a missionary or a sent one. A plain definition of a missionary is one who participates in the reconciling mission of God. 
A missionary is one who is empowered by God to participate in the reconciling work of God, the reconciling mission of God. It's not complex and it's not reserved only for those who go overseas or go to foreign lands or go uh, raise their own salary. It's not limited to the special few. If you're a follower of Jesus, he has he has invited you and is inviting you to participate with him in his mission of reconciliation. What this means is that he wants to make his appeal to the people in your network through you. He wants that for you. You're his agent placed perfectly in the middle of a specific group of people. The people in your home, the people in your neighborhood, the people in your workplace, the people in your circle of hobbies, the friends that you grew up with, the people that you know and are in relationship with today. Now, if we're honest, we probably all really, we we have a couple of things going on within us. We really want that for ourselves. Like we, we honestly and earnestly, we desire that. We believe that that is true. And we want to see ourselves in this way. We want to see ourselves as the missionary people of God. And yet, immediately, oftentimes, the doubt, our own rationale, our self-concern, our fear, and other hindrances creep right in and begin talking us out of that kind of an identity and a lifestyle. I want to say, and I think this represents the heart of God for you, to you, be honest to yourself, to the Lord, to the network of friends that you have that you can speak about these things with. Be honest about the things that hinder you, the things that cause you to get all twisted up inside and to shrink back in fear or rationale or self-concern, whatever it might be. Honesty is a value. What stops you in your tracks, church? What stops you in your tracks? This is something not for you to call out publicly and verbally right now, but something for you to name. Like when the opportunity comes for you to be explicit and to be bold about the hope that you have in Christ and the transformation that you have experienced in him, what stops you? Where does the halt come from? What is it in you? Ask the question even before the Lord. Like, Lord, I, if you don't know, if your mind's kind of racing, like, what, what is it? Would you identify it, Lord? What is it that stops me in my tracks? We've looked at how Luke's gospel concluded, and we've also looked at how uh, the, 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 the beginning of Acts began. But let's look at some other gospels as well. And, and really evaluate what did Jesus call his disciples to do when he left? A parting command is a primary command. That is to say, when somebody, when somebody gives their last words, their last will and testament, their last command, somebody in authority gives a command as their final act, it is something that we should take notice of and that we should respect even more so because it's the God of the universe, the the man who is God giving us this command. The Gospels, they conclude with Jesus parting ways with his disciples and giving them a picture of their enduring mission. The one that's probably most familiar to you is out of the first Gospel in your New Testament, Matthew's Gospel. It's in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus would say, All authority in heaven and on earth has been imparted to me. 
And then in light of that, he would give them a bunch of verbs. He'd say, go therefore and make disciples. Go and make, two verbs there, baptizing them. Literally, uh, uh, the, the baptism is the moment of entry into the Christian family. It's the public, um, the public ceremony of entrance into the family of God, baptizing them into the name of the Son, the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey. There's another verb, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And then Jesus would give them a promise, and the promise would be, what? I'm with you always. I'm present with you. I'm with you. You might not feel it. You might not experience it. You might not even believe it. But the reality is, is that I'm present with you always to the end of the age. How would he be present with his people? He would be present with his people through the clothing of the Holy Spirit. He would be present with his people through the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. As his people, we have been clothed with power from on high. Then in Mark's gospel, chapter 16, Mark records it like this. We don't know if it was actually Mark. Uh, the, The ending of Mark may have been a later edition. Uh, so uh, we'll, we'll take this lightly, but it, it at least in this portion, it uh, is, is confirming of what Matthew has said as well. Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Hard teaching there. And then in John, the Apostle John, he records it. Some, it's, uh, John is different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke uh, in, in, the, in, in his perspective and his use of language. Uh, and this is how he records Jesus' commission. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Elsewhere in John's gospel, Jesus would say to the Father in a prayer, Father, as you have sent me into this world, into the world, I have sent them, the disciples. I have commissioned and sent them into the world. Then he'd say even earlier in John chapter 13, verse 20, as he's instructing his disciples, he'd say, Jesus speaking, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. you, You are my ambassador. Whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. So the will of the Father, the will of the Son, the will of the Spirit, and the disciples proclaiming and showing the good news of Jesus, all of this is uniform. All of this accords with the will of God. What this means is that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is a sending God. Jesus is a sending Lord and Savior. But rather than sending us to accomplish his will in our power, can you even do that? Is that even possible? Are you going to go and, 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 and make disciples, and teach them to observe all that Jesus has commanded us, baptize them? Are we going to actually do that in our own strength? Can you even change your own lifestyle, let alone the heart of another person oftentimes? Rather than sending us to accomplish his will in our power, what does he do? He clothes us with his power in order to accomplish his will. He means to see this through, and he means to use you and I. Like a boss who gives us access to his account, we can make debits. We can secure all that we need to uh, all that we need from his resources. So to be a missionary is to be a sent one. 
uh, to be clothed with power. It's to be surrounded with. It's to be immersed. It's to be hidden inside something that is beyond you. This clothing of power frees us and invites us to draw on resources that are foreign to our humanity. It gives us a kind of strength and authority that we do not have on our own. I was thinking about uh, the, the idea of a uniform, the idea of a badge. Think about, like, think about nurses in a hospital. You're wearing a uniform. Your uniform and your badge, it gives you access in a hospital far beyond what a plain-clothed, untrained person would have. You using that uniform, people seeing you in that uniform, it, it, you are a representative now of the organization. And as you flash that badge in front of the little sensor on the double doors, what happens? The doors open up and layer beyond layer of restriction is open to you. It's a bit of a feeble illustration, but at the same time, I think in some way it begins to get our minds around seeing what the Holy Spirit does. He's better than a badge. He's better than a uniform, but his covering, his endowed power given to his people, they open up opportunities. They open up access for you and I that are only meant for disciples that are only meant for his people. They open up opportunities and access that our human strength just won't. It can't. And so he gives us his spirit to motivate us and to move us to accomplish for his glory what only he can do. And he moves us into spaces that cause us fear and destabilization, aiming with the purpose of making his power known. We get so stopped up. I get so stopped up talking to my friends freely about the hope that I have in Jesus because subtly under the surface, there's something, work, there's something at work in me. There's an invasive belief that's wreaking havoc on me. You know, when, you, uh, you, when you're on the freeway coming in, like changing state lines, they always want you to stop. If you have any kind of watercraft, even kayaks, they want you to stop and pull over for an inspection. Why do they want you to pull over for that inspection? Because there's a possibility that your watercraft on the underside has an invasive species that if introduced from, uh, taken from one lake and intru- introduced into another lake, it will bring that invasive species into that lake and it will begin to wreak havoc and take it over. I think this belief that's going on inside me is invasive like that. And the belief is this, I'm on my own. I don't believe in these moments when I'm shrinking back in fear, Jesus' promise that he's always with me to the very end of the age. I don't believe that. I believe that I'm on my own. And so therefore, I believe that I've got to have the words. I'm the one who has to make sense of things. I'm the one who has to bring the power. Uh -uh. that's not what the scriptures say about who we are. The scriptures say that followers of Jesus have been clothed with power from on high. The the disciples, they were ordinary people like you and I. They were ordinary people like you and I. Now, in the book of Acts, which is the story of the early church unfolding and expanding and becoming established in the world, what's interesting to me is the one who emerges as the primary agent of mission in Acts is not the disciples. It's the Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit is the primary missionary. He's the primary agent of mission in the book of Acts. You could potentially title, and I've heard people float out this title, you could potentially title the book of Acts, not the Acts of the Apostles, but the Acts of the Holy Spirit as he is the one working among his people. The disciples were ordinary people like you and I. Uh, In one instance, a handful of disciples, this is in Acts chapter 4, a handful of disciples are being harassed by the Pharisees uh, because they have just um, healed a man who was crippled from birth, who's over 40 years old. This man was in the temple area. He was known by sight. He was known by name. People had been coming in year after year, day after day, seeing him and knowing him. The disciples... They, they, they healed this man in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they began to speak of the one whose power made this possible. They began to speak openly of Jesus. And the Pharisees came and kind of like apprehended them and, and were trying to force them out of the temple courts and not to speak anymore in the name of Jesus Christ. But in Acts chapter 4, verse 8, it tells us that as Peter was responding to them, it, it, Luke describes it like this, but Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. So clothed with power, filled with power. Like he is completely baptized in power. He's immersed in the power of God to speak. And he did speak. But remember who was the one doing the wordsmithing through him. It was the Holy Spirit giving him words. These Pharisees, they were, they, they were astounded at these disciples because they were common uneducated men. But then they realized something, that they had been with Jesus. They were schooled by Jesus, and they were filled by the Holy Spirit, and God was working through them. He had done something to them, and now he was doing something through them. So as a brief summary in Acts, I'm I'm just going to go really quick here. Just hang with me. But um, there are a few different instances in in. Acts, quite a few, and I just cherry-picked a handful of seven or eight of them. Um, Acts 1.8, Jesus would say that the Holy Spirit would come to give power. So the Holy Spirit is powerful, and he's the one who bestows power. We see that from the very opening lines of Acts. And then in Acts chapter 2, this time of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit would fill these disciples who were gathered together in the upper room. They would begin to speak in languages to people who were gathered in Jerusalem at the time of Passover, or Pentecost rather. They would, uh, they would begin to speak um, to these people, and these people would begin hearing them speaking in other languages. So what this means is one of the things that the Holy Spirit does is he communicates through us, but let's not forget, as he is communicating through us, what is he also doing in the hearts of the people who we are communicating to? He's communicating to them as well. He is helping other people. We, our words are crooked. We stutter. We stammer. We don't have the words. We, we have more I don't knows than we have verifiable, like authoritative teaching, it feels like in those moments. But what the Spirit is doing is he's not just speaking through you, but he's also at work in the people in front of you, helping them to receive the message. So the Holy Spirit communicates and makes communication possible. He also makes communication possible with boldness. 
That's what he was doing in Acts chapter four with Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. He confronted and resisted these Pharisees and they're, they're, uh, they, they wanted him to and them to stop speaking in the name of Jesus. And Peter said, no, 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 we cannot help but testify what we have seen and heard. And so in Acts chapter four, towards the end in verse 31, I believe, uh, it says this, the Holy Spirit continued to speak the word. uh, They were filled with the Holy Spirit and they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So the Holy Spirit helps us communicate. He gives us boldness. Also in Acts chapter eight, it's the story of Philip and like just kind of traveling somewhere. The Holy Spirit speaks to him and says, go up to this chariot and speak to this person. Ask him what he's reading. So the Holy Spirit directs us to people who are open to the news of Jesus. He directs us to people of peace. He gives us, if we'll avail ourselves to him and open our hands before him, he will speak to us and direct us to other people. He'll not only do that, but he'll also foretell and warn us of future events and danger. We'll get that feeling in our gut, that sense in our gut that we can't quite figure out, but we know something is off. He speaks to us in that way as well. He'll also forbid us and warn us in order to direct us. He did that with Paul as they were trying to go into Asia, but the Holy Spirit redirected them and the church in Philippi was planted as a result of that warning. And the Holy Spirit will also bind our consciences. He'll also settle us in conviction by testifying and directing us to what awaits us, like he did with the Apostle Paul. And he knew that he was to go and testify before Caesar and go in Jerusalem, go to um, Rome, and that's where he would lose his life. The Holy Spirit is doing in his people and his apostles in us as he's acting for the glory of God. He's acting for the good of mankind, and he is the primary agent of mission. The Holy Spirit is the primary agent of mission. Have you ever had an experience where you were led by him? Where you just, you sensed him speaking. It wasn't an audible voice from heaven, but there was this strong sense in you to speak. How did you know that it was him directing you? How do you know that it was him speaking to you? How do you know if you're being led by the Holy Spirit? I want to give three clues that you're depending on the Holy Spirit and that it's him speaking to you. Three things that the Spirit of God wants to do in you that will lead you out into mission. So let's not get ahead of ourselves and go, I got to do all the things for God. I got to do all the things for God. I got to do all the things for God. Let's settle ourselves and consider what he wants to do in us. And as he begins to work in us, what's naturally going to happen is he's going to do something through us. The Holy Spirit wants you and I, to repent and to rejoice in Jesus Christ. He wants us to repent and rejoice in Jesus. He's zealous for our worship. He's zealous that we worship Jesus and not make it about being the other way around, like God exists for us. When we first came to know him, our first experience of the Holy Spirit, it was actually at the moment of initial belief, at conversion. The Holy Spirit was the one who convicted us internally of our sin. He showed us that we were sinners cut off from the grace of God, cut off from the mercy of God. We deserved wrath. Part of the Holy Spirit's work in us is to convict us of our sin, to show people their folly. Jesus said as much, he said in John 16, and when the Holy Spirit comes, he'll convict the world concerning sin, concerning righteousness and judgment. 
So the Holy Spirit showed you your folly. He showed you and I our sin, but he also moved us. He didn't just leave us there. He moved us to this place of renewal and rejoicing, which is actually worship. Titus, the Apostle Paul would be writing to this young pastor named Titus, and he would say this, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, not because we were awesome, but according to his own mercy. How did he do it? By the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. That's how he saved us. He regenerated us. He made us alive to his calling through the work of the Spirit confirming that message in us. And he poured the Holy Spirit out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. The Holy Spirit, he convicts us of our sin and he begins his renewing work in us so thoroughly that we're not first missionaries, but worshipers. He's not just calling us to do something. He's calling us to submit ourselves to him and to worship him. This is what the first five weeks of basics was about. It's about the gospel power, the things that God has done for us, not the things that we're supposed to be doing for him. David Mathis, uh, he writes for Desiring God. He says this, he says, uh, if the chief theme of our lives is not worshiping Jesus, enjoying God in him, and being freshly astounded by his grace toward us sinners, we have no good business endeavoring to bring others into an experience that we ourselves aren't enjoying. And so it is, not only the most missional among us, but all of us who need reminding again and again that mission is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is the ultimate goal of the church. So the Holy Spirit wants us repenting and rejoicing in Jesus Christ, acknowledging our folly as regularly as it comes to our attention and rejoicing that Jesus Christ has stood in our place. That's the work that he's doing in us. Second, the Holy Spirit wants you to know the voice of Jesus, to discern it and to listen to him. He wants you to know his voice Just as this voice is unique to me, his voice is unique to him. We can know and discern the voice of Jesus Christ. He's alive. He has beat death on the third day. He sits at the right hand of the Father, reigning over all things, which means that he is, that his promise to be with us always to the end of the age is true. He is a speaking God, often bringing hard words. Have you ever read the Sermon on the Mount and taken it seriously? Have you ever read the the Sermon on the Mount and actually taken it seriously? It's not some theoretical what if. He ends the Sermon on the Mount by saying, if anyone does these things, he is wise. He is wanting us to obey him, to hear us, to listen to him. We're going to dive into Matthew's gospel in September, and we're just going to stay there until we're done. And I'm really excited about it. We're going to, we're going to come face-to-face with the Sermon on the Mount beginning in January, and we're going to spend the first part of 2020, uh, 2021 rather in the Sermon on the Mount. But we're going to begin Matthew's gospel uh, next month, and I'm really excited just to get back and to anchor deep into a book of the Bible. Topical preaching is really exhausting and really hard. And I don't think it's what we most need. I think it's what we need in this season, but I think what we really need is to feast on God's word explicit right before us. So I'm looking forward to that.
There was a time when uh, Jesus' disciples, they were tempted to abandon him because his teaching was incredibly hard to swallow. Uh, he had just given a teaching about whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood will have eternal life. He was speaking of communion. He was speaking of those who have faith in his atoning sacrifice at the cross. But all kinds of people began to desert him. And then he turns to his disciples and he says, are you guys going to leave too? And the disciples' response to him was, where else are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. And so we're going to stay put. We're going to stay here. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing in us, even in this moment. He's teaching us that Jesus, he's persuading us that Jesus is teaching. It's the truest. It's the most life-giving, soul-awakening truth that we can take in. It makes, it helps us to make sense of the world and the, and the folly and the events that are going on around us. Jesus would say, when the spirit of truth comes, when the Holy Spirit comes to you, he was teaching his disciples. He said, he will guide you into all of the truth. He won't speak on his own authority. Whatever he hears from father and son, he'll speak to you. So he's, it's like he's conduit. It's like his, the, the father, son, and Holy Spirit, their will is one. And the spirit is the one who is speaking to us, declaring to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, Jesus said. He will take what is mine and he'll declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he, the Holy Spirit, will take what is mine and declare it to you. That's a side note. The Holy Spirit is a person. He's not an it. He is, he, he is a, a being with emotions and a mind and a will. The third member of the Trinity. So where do we find this life-giving, soul-awakening eternal teaching? Do we just wait for it to kind of fall out of the sky? Do we just kind of like open our hands up and just go like this, Lord, unless you speak audibly, I'm probably not going to hear from you. No, we actually go on a search for it. We go looking for this teaching like a beggar looking for bread. In John 6, 63, this is right before that moment when the disciples were tempted to bail on him and they said, where would we go? You've got the words of eternal life. Right before that, Jesus said this, it's the spirit of God who gives life. The flesh is no help to you at all. The words that I've spoken to you, they are spirit and life. What this means is the words of Jesus come to us through the life-giving power of the Holy Spirit. If we desire this power, we desire to take hold of it, to open ourselves up to it, what we don't need is more of our flesh and more of our humanity and more of our reason. We need some of that. But what we really need are his words. We need his words to us. Where will we go? You have the words of eternal life. John Piper will say this in Acts 1.8 and Luke 24.48. That's where we began our morning, this morning, talking about how there's, there's this, we will be clothed with power from on high. He says the power is given to us for a purpose. The purpose is effective witness. We're witnesses. We witness primarily with the word of God, he says. There's no, listen to this. There is no reason to think that God will ignite the powder of his spirit if you don't load your rifle with the bullet of the word. There is no reason to think that God will ignite the powder of his spirit. So he's using an illustration here. If you don't load your rifle with the bullet of the word, are we a people that are centering ourselves on the teaching of the word of God? 
the Holy Spirit. He wants us repenting and rejoicing in Christ. He wants us seeing all and, and, and rejoicing in all that Jesus has done for us and is doing to us. But he also wants us to tune our ears to him, speaking to us through his word. And here is my last point. The Holy Spirit wants you to obey Jesus and he wants you to follow his lead. He wants you to obey him in the moment. He wants you to follow his lead when it comes. So we are witnesses. He's placed us in our networks, in, embedded in these communities of people who are around us, the ones, the twos, the threes. We're not talking like big picture, like we got to go get the masses. We're talking about the ordinary everyday people that are around us who are ordinary everyday people. He has placed us sovereignly in our networks in order to do something, in order to bring light and in order to bring hope. And so you and I and the rest of God's people, the church, we are Jesus' strategy for pushing back the darkness, for restraining the darkness, for bringing light and bringing the hope of God. And so what the Holy Spirit is doing is inviting, he's calling you and I to live as a speaking and blessing witness to his goodness and to his reality among our people. Now, I know that when we're talking about this, we're, we're kind of th- we, we often will think about evangelism and there's a lot of like resistance that just comes up to, you need to go and evangelize, you need to go and evangelize, you need to go and evangelize. But what I'm saying is we need to open ourselves up to what he wants to do in us in the moment. We don't need to think five steps ahead. I know some of us are wired like that. We need to think in the moment and to open ourselves up. I know it can bring up resistance to think about how we are a missionary people given that identity by God. But I want to ask this, are we neglecting his voice? Are we neglecting his voice? Are we lulled to sleep by the constancy of our media intake? That might be one of the things that's lulling us to sleep. I have a little screensaver on my phone uh, that I made that says, why am I holding my phone? And this last week, I've been holding my phone and disregarding that like nobody's business. So I've been taking in uh, an inordinate amount of media. And I know that that is quenching my attentiveness to him. I just know it is. That's for me. I know for a fact that is what's happening to me through the use of this phone. So are we lulled to sleep by our media intake or by our, our, our ambitions that have nothing at all to do with the purposes of Christ? not saying they're bad. I'm just saying like in and of themselves, I'm just saying like we have not submitted any of that to him. We're not seeking to use any of our ambitions for his purposes. We're just like, that's a different compartment of our lives and we'd care to keep it separate, please. Maybe we're just lulled to sleep by our busyness and all of our coming and going and just the, the kind of frenzy of activity. Remember the Holy Spirit, he's about our worship before he's about us being on mission. He wants your worship. He wants your hands open and your ears open before him so that he could speak and so that you could take it in and so that you could follow him on his lead. In fact, our worship is what gets us on mission. Our worship is what actually moves us to mission. 
When we're caught up in a moment where we trust him and believe him, we're ready to take that next step. It's when we're not attentive to him that we so often are not ready to take that step of obedience that he's calling us to. And so maybe the Holy Spirit is asking us first to submit ourselves and our time and our energy, our pursuits, our media, all of the things, whatever it is that kind of gets in your way and hinders you, maybe he's asking you to submit that to him as an act of repentance. Consider that. Is the opening of whatever it is that's kind of quenching and blocking the voice of God in your life and your attentiveness to him, is he asking you to open that up and to offer that to him as an act of repentance? So often we keep it back because we think he's just gonna strip it away, but maybe he just wants to transform it. Maybe he wants to take the hobby and the pursuit and turn it into a means of worship and drawing other people in so that it's not God in your life, he's God in your life, but you get to use that thing for his glory. That would feel like really, really good news, would it not? If he reorders our lives in these ways, our spiritual laziness scares me. I told uh, the 9 a.m. crew this morning, like I'm sitting in a chair last night. I'm writing the very last part of this message and just processing through it. And I just came on this line, like I am, I am frightened right now. And what I was frightened at was not as much for you as it was I was seeing my own laziness over the, this last month and the way that I have been quenching the voice of the Spirit. I've just not been attentive to Him. I've just been drowned out in other things, pursuing other things. And I was brought to this place like, Jared, you need to repent. And your repentance is not just gonna be a momentary act of repentance. I'm sorry, Lord, and then move on and start doing all of the same things. But you have got to give yourself to thinking through how you're ordering your time and your life because I am quenching the voice of God in my life through the abundance of my activity and the attention that I'm giving to a host of other things. That's where I'm at. And I fear for you because I think that's where many of us are also. I may not be naming that for you. That may be the Holy Spirit naming that for you. And maybe you're in a place where you're just hot on the inside. Like you are, you, 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 the Spirit is speaking to you. You're attentive. You're in this wonderful place. Praise God. Continue to open your hands and ask that he would just continue to fill you with an awareness of his presence. But if it's not you, if you're finding yourself resonating more with my state than that state, we must Repent, not momentarily, but opening our hands, letting him rearrange the course of our lives. Here's where I'm going to close. I wanna close with this quote from John Piper that may just kind of like, it may just give you language for what's going on inside. It did me. Piper says this, the question arose in my mind, have I resisted the offer of the Spirit's power for witnessing, for, for testifying to his goodness so often that it is now being withheld from me? It's a question he's asking himself. Has the voice of the Spirit in the past prompted me to write a letter or make a phone call or pay a visit or say a word with the readiness? So this is God's position. He's ready to give me all the power I would need, but I find my heart resistant and unbelieving. And as a result, now he will not, probably dare not give me the tokens of this power until I am on the brink of some special act of witnessing obedience. 
I believe this is where many of us are, he writes. He wrote this in 1988. We have resisted the Holy Spirit so often when he was calling us to bear witness to Christ that we are unfit for the flow of his power. The channels have become so clogged in us with fear and self-consciousness and doubt and rationalization and worldly preoccupation that what we allow through is a barely discernible trickle of God's love. Perhaps that's where you're at this morning. It feels heavy. The best thing for us to do is to open our hands before him and to understand that his mercy abounds to us. He's calling us not to fear. He's not calling us to rush into action and earn our way back to being uh, open as a conduit of uh, of the Spirit's power in us. He's calling us to faith. He's calling us to repentance. He's calling us to rejoicing in his willingness to just start moving and working through us again. So the answer isn't for us to, in our power, make it all happen. The answer for us is to avail ourselves to his power. Open our hands and our minds again to his power and say, Lord, I'm sorry, but I know you're merciful. I know you desire to speak. Help me. So that's where we're we're going to leave it this morning, with repentance. Uh, Typically, on a Sunday morning, we gather and we uh, celebrate and enjoy communion. We're not going to do that this morning. We're just, we're we're going to let it sit. We're going to consider what the Lord is speaking to us, what the Holy Spirit is naming and identifying. We're going to say, Spirit, awaken us. Strengthen us. Create hunger in us. Renew us. Cause us to rejoice. Here we are, Lord. Send. We are your family called by your name as servants. And we are a sent people. So where you want to send us, who you want us to go to, to show and share the good news, we'll go. We're made, by, we're made family by our Father. We're taught to serve through Jesus' service. And we're sent by the Holy Spirit to show and share the good news of Jesus Christ as his missionary people. So um, musicians, will you come up this morning? Uh, I just want to pray for us. And then uh, this first song, it's called Be Still. And I I want us to just sit and to contemplate. And I want the the band, the musicians to sing. And I want us to contemplate the words on the screen and in their mouths. And if you want to sing along, go ahead. But I want this just to be a a time of reflection and humbling that I pray would uh, signify a a carrying forward of a humble disposition before him. And then you'll notice with the, the last song, it's called His Mercy is More. It's a song of celebration and it's got a it's got vibe to it, right? So I want to just invite you as that comes to, to when you're ready to just stand and to sing and to unite your voice in faith um, before one another and especially before the Lord this morning. Pray with me. Holy Spirit, as we contemplate, as we sit, as these words wash over us this morning, would you speak in profound ways, ways ways and things, sentences that we can remember that move us to humble submission to you and hope in Christ as our justifier, not our renewed effort, because that's not what the gospel is about. You want our worship. 
And it's from our worship that all of our good works come. In Jesus' name, make this so. Amen.